you are listening to the second podcast of the 2023 Tour de France Femme. Today, we're in Mauriac. sound of Annemiek van Vluten celebrating a victory. But wait, listeners, it wasn't her own victory. It was the victory of her teammate, Liana Lippert, uh, in the finale of stage two of the Tour de France. Fam, which was a bit of a, a, a turn up for the books, wasn't it? But before I go any further, I'll introduce us all. Uh, I'm joined by Denny Gray of the British Continental. My name is Rose Manley. Uh, I'm the host of the cycling podcast Feminine. And we've got on the line... Lizzie Banks, who was, who's basically our eye in the sky, because Lizzie actually gets to see everything that's going on. Hello, hello, can you hear me? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, yeah, it would be great, actually, if you, I mean, we probably would be able to hear, very much hear Lizzie in a helicopter here, because we're in Moriac. it's very quiet here, isn't it, Denny? Or I say that, we found the rowdiest bar to back that we possibly could the only bar to back we could find <laughs> yeah that's very true it's uh, but it's very kind of um peaceful very serene here i saw you checking out the statue a little bit earlier in the square care to fill us in or yeah we're outside uh Mauriac, uh town hall and there's a statue in the middle of the square here um uh, that is a memorial to the Second and First World Wars um, and all the people that fell uh, from the town during that time. And we're opposite a, a beautiful old church and we can hear the birds kind of roosting away. Um, but as you say, Rose, all of the other restaurants and bars in the town <laughs> seem to be closed. It's a Monday night and uh, we've left it too late. So, exactly. So that's why we are going to have to roll on rather rapidly with... Uh, Lizzie's tale of the attack because um, as the only bar in town it's going to get pretty rowdy uh, I expect the car the cars are coming in with all of the uh, clientele now arriving at the one bar in town so Lizzie give us your tale of the attack please. it's time for the tale of the attack well then, let's go. Stage two, 151 relentlessly hilly kilometres would take the riders from Clermont-Ferrand to Muriac. A crash in the neutral before the flag had even dropped was not the best start for Movistar's Leanna Lippert, who was safely back in the bunch for the furious uphill start, where almost immediately the bunch was split in two. An early break of Georgia Williams of EF Tibco SVB and Hannah Ludwig of Uno X Pro Cycling went away, mopping up the early mountains points and momentarily easing the tension in the bunch and allowing everything to come back together. With the break reabsorbed at 55 kilometres to go, nerves in the peloton started to rise as they hit the wet roads and a fast run into the Cote de Plin. A clip of wheels for Claire Steeles catapulted her into Longo Borghini and bringing down Van Vluten and Lippert for her second crash of the day, as well as Spratt and Koppenberg. Attacks were flying back at the front as Julie van der Velde took the QOM points with her Fenix de Koenig teammate Yara Castellain attacking over the top, taking Soraya Paladine and Anushka Costa with her for the second break of the day. The group was quickly caught but Castellain couldn't be repressed and went again over the Cote de Bossier with Eva van Acht and Anushka Costa, bridging the gap to make it a trio out front. 
The brake swept up the intermediate sprint points as well as the bonus second sprints from an uninterested peloton. With 16 kilometers to go, the heavens opened and chaos began to rain down on the riders. A mechanical for Marta Cavalli put her out of the hunt in the final and leading to a loss of three minutes and 30 seconds on the finish line. Ahead in the break, with the roads now drenched in water, Castelline skidded through a roundabout, just about holding it up. Less luck, however, for Loretta Hansen behind, who skidded skin side down the middle of the road in exactly the same spot. Moments later, on the descent into the final climb, saw a horror crash for Eva van Acht of Team Jumbo Visma slide out and underneath the metal crash barriers. As the peloton hurtled down the descent, strung out due to the conditions, Niviodoma risked it all at the front and attacked hard at the bottom of the climb of the Cote de Trebiac. Mormon Passio and Lippert instantly on her wheel with the other big favourites favorites under pressure to bring Niviodoma under control. Niviodoma went again, next Labousse, next Reusser. All together now under the Flamme Rouge as Vollering took control with the yellow jersey on her wheel, a perfect lead out, dropping off Kopecky with 150 metres to go on the uphill drag to the line. Persico and Lippert launched at the same moment, moment with Lippert powering ahead to take the win on stage two of the Tour de France Femme and her first World Tour win in three and a half years. Lotta Kopecky, second on the day, remains firmly in both yellow and green, with Sadrine Kerbol of Ceratizit WNT Pro Cycling retaining the white jersey of Best Young Rider. Yara Kastelein of Fenix de Koenig is leading the Polka Dot jersey competition, with teammate Julie van der Velde trailing her in second. Well, you said Lizzie there three and a half years since her last World Tour win. But, I mean, also, this is only her second Women's World Tour win. And that first one came at the Cadell Evans uh, race, which I, I don't want to belittle the Cadell Evans race. But, it, you know, it's early in the season. In, it's in Australia. Not all of the strongest riders make it there. So it's quite clear, uh, Denny, wouldn't you say, that this is a real breakthrough uh, for Liana Lippert, getting this win. And also, what a joy to see such a delighted celebration just like the biggest smile arms outstretched she just looked surprised and delighted yeah i mean i was there at the line as uh, she crossed and Annemiek van vooten came up uh, delighted that she'd uh, taken the win and it was uh, a reaction of real shock and surprise and uh, it was a real joy to see i have to say and as you say it felt like a real breakthrough moment for her um, obviously as you say she won back in 2020 at the Cadell Evans road race and since then she has threatened a big win she was really active in the world rose race last year at Wollongong took fourth in the end mm. but for many felt like the strongest rider in the race mm, and, yeah and was unlucky definitely enough, she had so. more to give didn't it yeah and you know I guess there were question marks when she joined Movistar this year from DSM you know would she be playing second fiddle to Annemiek van Vluten she was a seemed like a very loyal domestique during the Giro Donne um, and it's really nice to see a rider like that still only 25 got so much potential um, to to get her breakthrough win. I mean Lizzie she has just been so impressive hasn't she? Uh, absolutely I mean Danny you talked about the Wollongong World Championships and she really rode out of her skin there and she 
She was the strongest rider on the day, but she probably used her energy slightly too much. She was so aggressive. She went with every single move. She was always there over every single climb. And that was actually probably to her detriment, but maybe maybe it helped her realize how strong she, she could be. You know, even uh, the year before that, uh, back in 2021, she was second in the European Championships to Ellen van Dijk, who was away solo and, and Lippert won the bunch sprint behind. So, so this result has been coming. She was second in uh, Flesh Wallon this year, of course, as well. And uh, two third places in the Giro as well. So, you know, she's, she's always been, been there on the podium she's so good in those punchy finishes she's got an incredible kick but she'd never quite managed to to convert that to convert that into this big win and now finally it's come and i i do think that that might give her the belief that she needs in order to get more of these big wins in the future well, we know actually when we were in the press conference, uh, Denny, she was asked a bit about that because uh, Annemiek van Vluten had been quoted as saying that this was the win that Liana Lippert needed and, you know, uh, for Annemiek it felt like a handing over of the of the crown. Although uh, Liana <laughs> Lippert was kind of keen to, to point I love, out I love that how she was we, not... We normally say batten, but because it's because it's Annemiek van Vluten, it's, it's <laughs> the crown that she's <laughs> handing over. <laughs> yeah, I should say Annemiek didn't say didn't call it a crown but that, that was kind of the the what it was uh, alluded to um, but you know Liana Lippert was very keen to say you know she's a punchy rider she's a classics rider she's not going to be you know taking on that GC uh, mantle um, anytime soon but the, it was the nature of the win was also really impressive because she'd been there uh, you know on the uh, on that final climb um, she was there in a very when there was a very small group she was there and then uh, at the finish it wasn't like she was in Capecchi's wheel and then making a quick run around uh, around her. Like Lizzie said in the tail of the attack, it was very much Persico, Capecchi and Leanne Lippert all kind of going mano, womano, at womano. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Lippert actually launched first out of them all. I mean, you know, you have a bit of an artistic license when you're writing a tale of the attack, don't you? But Lippert actually launched first and went from longest. Um, and you kind of thought, oh, is she going to make it? And yes, later we found out that Capecchi had a rear flat and perhaps that, that you know, was a detriment to her performance. But if you actually look at the kind of body language of Lippert, the speed with which she came past, I think it was quite clear that she was the most powerful rider. Um, but yeah. I mean, seeing on the, also, you know, to see uh, the whole Movistar team so happy on the finish line, weren't they? As we heard in the opening. Yeah, and, and as we, I mean, we were speculating yesterday about whether SD Works would just run away with stage wins at this race. So it's great to see a different team winning so early on in the race mm. for, you know, for the neutral spectators. Yes, Movistar, when was the last time they won anything? <laughs> well... <laughs> But Just I think I there was it, that yeah. concern that there would be this kind of SD work stranglehold. And I think that should give a bit of hope to some of the other teams that are kind of threatening stage wins in this race. Um, as you say, Lippert was rode a brilliant race not just in positioning in, in, in the final straight but as you say there was a moment about 4.3 kilometres to go when uh, Ashley Mormon Passio, Nivia Doma Mm. Um, Elisa Longo Borghini and I think it was a Phoenix rider I think it was Castelline uh, and, and Lippert all had a gap 
uh, and it was Vollering that closed that, bringing Annemiek van Vluten mm. with her. But you know, there could have she was at the front of the race, and she was at you know, she was there at the right time at the right the right moments, and uh, it was just a very impressive performance all round. Well, shall we hear from uh, Florchi Mackay, who's you know long been a teammate, not just she came over uh, to Movistar from uh, was it Team DSM back yeah, then? Yeah. Yeah, it was Team DSM. So from Team DSM uh, to Movistar, and they are like uh, you know best friends, as you'll uh, hear in this interview with Florchi Mackay. Uh, Florida, you've been Liana's teammate and friend, I yes. presume, for, for a long, long time now. Yes. You must be so thrilled. Yeah, Laura. it's really, really nice. I said to my teammates already, I think this is one of her biggest, biggest wins. And um, yeah, it's really nice that it's one of my best friends. And seeing her winning after seeing that she is really good, it's yeah, impressive, really. And you know, she's been so much hard work and been so close uh, so many times. You know, how was her preparation for the Tour de France? Did, did well, she, uh, she did a Giro where she was also in a good shape. Um, and I think that, yeah, if you take a good rest afterwards, then she shows how good she is. And I think that developed only, yeah, I think she is in a higher shape. And she, yes, only growing better and better. And how great is it as a mood booster for the team with the GC oh, also on the horizon? That's amazing. I mean, we have Anna Meek as a GC rider, and um, yeah, having a stage win already in the second day, it couldn't be better. Well, that was Florchi Mackay, obviously thrilled for her uh, best friend to have won. But it was interesting, wasn't it, Denny, that the well, when I was trying to say the word earlier, I said the. Uh, the voob no what did I say the vood the vibe and the mood combined uh, was was kind of uh, well when the riders first finished it was kind of downbeat a little bit because the I think because the, of the rain and the conditions and the sleepiness and the crashes um, but then everyone was pretty apart from SD Works was pretty kind of buoyed by the result I'm presuming that's kind of like getting one over on SD mm. Works is a bit of a mood booster, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It definitely detected a kind of bit of buoyancy there. Um, but as you say, there was some real dejection as well. I guess there's a real mix of emotions across the line. Um, I saw uh, Anushka Costa just beside herself with emotion at the end of the line. I know we'll talk about the break later uh, after Eva Vanak's uh, crash, um, and the rain. I guess must have really impacted on the race it felt really quite cold mm, at points did, out yeah. here well you're um, still wearing your raincoat Danny I am still wearing my raincoat well Denny's wearing know. his raincoat but he's wearing shorts so <laughs> me and Denny are both here in shorts because even in this morning when we were in Clermont-Ferrand it was sunny it was hot I fully you know factor 50 sun creamed mm. and you know we get here and it was still pretty nice wasn't it and it and but the rain it really did suddenly come down even when we were sitting in the press room it was just dry yeah. uh, and then it was suddenly wet and then we're looking at the tv where the riders could only be about 10 kilometers away from us and it's perfectly dry on the tv and then it suddenly comes down and it was like a deluge yeah and uh sorry about that you know there were riders with ice packs on yeah in the morning uh, uh, in they the morning were. And it yeah. was such a contrast by the end of the stage. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Can I, can I remind you that I, I said to you this morning, you know, is it raining there? And you said, Denny, no rain here, none forecast. <laughs> almost as none bad as my prediction that Lorena Vivas would win the stage. You know, almost, almost as far out. But 60% accuracy, that's all we go for. <laughs> 
That's right. Well, I mean, I don't know what happened in Clermont-Ferrand with the weather. Are they having here, a lot? But I'm I did sure say it's... that it would stay dry in Clermont-Ferrand. It's, um, it's still sunny in Clermont-Ferrand. Always sunny in Clermont-Ferrand. It's still 31 degrees. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's still wearing ice packs. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but it, was, uh, it was a bit of a factor, wasn't it? Because... Um, it suddenly came down. Um, I think that kind of fed into a little bit of the caginess that we saw on that final climb. You know, we were mm. kind of expecting it to be an all-out gung-ho type stage. And yet we get to that final climb, the final chance to make the difference. And the riders all pretty cagey. I mean, they were when you see them on the TV and they're all across the road like they were, then it kind of means that everyone's sort of waiting for someone else to make the move. Yeah, I mean, that... that final descent into the bottom of the final climb which was about four four to five kilometers to go was I mean you really could see a massive difference in the way that riders were approaching the peloton ahead we'd had this awful crash with Ava Van Acht who I understand was was conscious and taken away from the race we don't have any further updates yet and hopefully we'll bring be able to bring you some tomorrow um, so we could see ahead how dangerous it was with Yara Castellan having kind of skidded and put her foot out and gone straight through the roundabout thankfully staying up and riders in the peloton before that were nervous they were really nervous of the rain there had already been crashes even before you know as soon as the roads got wet they had, there had already been crashes and then there were some riders Nivea Doma, Mormon Passio absolutely hurtling down this descent at the front and then you have the riders who maybe want to take less risk like Annemiek van Vluten who are looking at the overall goal you know taking a little bit more steadily and then riders like Mavi Garcia who let's say aren't the best descenders of all time are often a little bit more nervous in the peloton really a long way back so then we when we got to that final climb riders like Mavi Garcia had a hell of a lot of work to do to get back up there we saw Vollering sort of on the back foot having to close that gap because she obviously wasn't taking huge huge risks on the descent but Nivea Doma was um, Nivea Doma she's a fearless descender anyway and clearly she just went all in and went hell for leather down there well, shall we hear from two of the riders that you mentioned there, uh, Lizzie? That was Kasia Nevidoma of Canyon Sram that we'll hear uh, first. And then we'll hear from Mavi Garcia, who kind of limited her losses uh, in the end, didn't she? Yeah, I was definitely hoping that I would be able to make a move that would uh, create some gaps in the peloton. I just feel like uh, the climb wasn't steep enough. I mean, everyone rolled with the big gear. So it was like a very powerful one and you could see that riders like Rooster or Kopecky who are very powerful, they could just close the gap even without getting out of the saddle. Given what's happened in the first two stages, what can you sort of expect or maybe anticipate or say about the next stages coming up before the Tourmalade? So the mm. in-between ones, tomorrow? I think that tomorrow, okay, it's a hard beginning, we reckon on that stage. I don't believe that there will be massive differences in the GC. I, it looks like the sprinters might arrive maybe in stage 4B best because she climbs pretty well and the last, I think, 40Ks are relatively flat. And for you? Mm. Tomorrow, as always, I our goal is to take each stage as if it was classic. We don't want to lose any time. We want to be attentive and react to all the dangerous moves, but also be smart so I feel like frankly saying tomorrow I don't believe it's a stage for the GC containers to make a difference yet the following one the fourth one definitely is. Because of the wet roads yeah, how many risks did you take? A lot in the final descent for sure a lot. So you pray to heaven that you 
go through. I definitely pray when I race a lot, just because yeah, I'm religious and I feel like I need some sort of connection in order to not lose my mind. How hard was it in that finale? Yeah, no, for me it's super difficult because in the downhill I drop the group because it's so dangerous, it's so sweat and uh, I feel uh, afraid and then uh, for catch the other group uh, I'm died. But finally uh, it's okay because I finished with the group and uh, okay, tomorrow is another day. Well, that was Kasia Neviadoma and uh, Mavi Garcia. But, Denny, I mean, you were talking uh, to Magnus Baxter of Canyon Sram, um, and he kind of hinted at the fact that, that, that they were going to be gung-ho because that's what they're looking to do here at this race. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess he just underlined what we've heard from Lizzie Dignan earlier in the race, that, you know, that their team are going to be treating this like eight one-day classics, or at least six, until we get to the Tourmalet. And um, although that, you know, GC is a, an ambition of theirs, um, uh, they're clearly looking at, looking at it stage by stage, which is a cliche. But as we've said in many times already, this the way this tour set is set up is is kind of primed for kind of classic style action. And we saw finally uh, a classic style action, a classics race that didn't have an SD Works uh, winner on it. And I have to say that we thought it looked like it was going all SD Works's way really because you know on that final climb we had a bit of a the kind of SD Works roadblock that we're quite used to seeing of Demi Vollering and Marlon Royster uh, right on the front policing the front um, checking whether anyone's gonna uh, get away and then we saw uh, a Marlon Royster uh, attack which is normally um, well, Martin McCrossan always says it's a sonic boom. <laughs> he literally says that every single time uh, on commentary. Uh, but normally, you know, she goes off and she's just off uh, on a solo. But they weren't going to have it all their way today, were they? No, they weren't. And uh, I think it's probably worth saying, Rose. I mean, I, you said it was cagey. And I think it was certainly cagey at moments on that final climb. But also, you know, there were riders putting in attacks. You know, Nevia Doma put in an attack um, Labus. Uh, Labus attacked with mm. uh, 3.1 to go we thought this is her kind of moment for redemption after her disappointment yesterday uh, we saw uh, an attack from the best young rider Kerbel Kerbel I don't know how you I actually it. don't know I think we should ask her tomorrow and we can we can get back to you all <laughs> yes yes anyway uh, Cedrine uh, and uh, and then Marlon Royce who attacked of course with 1.7 to go and I think one of the things that Nivia Doma said in her interview was that um, you know that climb perhaps just wasn't steep enough to mm. make the difference or at least the riders were feeling that they just couldn't quite get the gap that they wanted to and that that then led to the caginess but it wasn't for a lack of effort I think actually there were quite a number of you know, relatively strong attacks here. and yeah fantastic to see the likes of well Elisa, Elisa Longo, Longo Borghini didn't go for attack but she was certainly she was the one that brought Marlon Royce uh, uh, back and it was funny because uh, at the end of the stage, I went to Ina Tutenberg, and if you're going to Ina Tutenberg, uh, then you're going to get a bit of a, um, a fantastic soundbite <laughs> out of your interview. Yeah, whether you whether you wanted uh, it or not. Um, and I, you know, I said, oh, it was great to see Lisa Longo Borghini at the front because, um, and she said, yeah, well, she was at the front yesterday. I said, well, you know, on Instagram, she suggested that she maybe had a she was a bit unwell the week before. 
And Nina just looked me dead in the eye and said, it's the Tour de France, there's no excuses. And then went directly um, onto the bus. And then I was like, I feel like I've been told off. Uh, but Lisa Longo Borghini has certainly uh, been told no excuses uh, at the Tour de France. But let's hear from, shall we hear from uh, Marlon Reusser um, quickly, who was one of the uh, attackers and used to going off on a solo one and just wasn't allowed to this time. Well, we saw you put in a, a big attack then. You looked like you were quite surprised to see that people were still on your wheel at the end of it. Were you surprised? Were you thinking you were going to go solo at that point? No, it was difficult because I, uh, yeah, it's a bit... In this team we have, team we have the GC goal, uh, we have our sprinters and then, yeah, I was working a bit the whole day, you may have seen that, so I was free to try something, but yeah, I, I burned my matches actually before, so I was not too surprised to see people, I just had to look back if I'm alone or not. Uh, what was plan A before you st started the stage? We didn't really have, okay, plan A for all way, for sure is that Dani is safe at the finish line with the best and then we didn't have a clear plan A. We said how we see how everybody gets over the climbs and what is happening, and then uh, we play our cards. Was it different to how you expected it to be today? Yeah, <laughs> it was cold. First it was hot, then it was cold. And uh, yeah, I, actually I thought now we have the win. That's when I let the gap to these four, like with Amy leading out Lotte, I thought yeah, Lotte is going to make it, but she had a flat tyre and <laughs> she, she, uh, she lost it like this. It's very nice for Lianne, she's a nice, uh, it's cool. But yeah, for us it's a bit, I was surprised like, because I thought, yeah, we get this. Yeah. Well, we heard there Marlene Royser and it was interesting because she was so happy for Lianne Lippert. And it's really, it really is nice when there's a rider in the peloton who wins, who everybody is happy for. And I think Lianne Lippert is one of those riders. She's a very popular rider. Um, you know, she doesn't win a lot, as we as we know. It's only her second World Tour win, and she had the German National Championship win this year and last year. Um, but everybody was really see her happy to see her get that result. But Marlon Reuser was she wrote a very tactical finale, didn't she? Because you know she was chasing things down, then she was going off, and like you said, Rose, there was that moment where we thought, oh, this is this is all over. Marlon's gone, um, and then in the final, Demi Vollering was doing this one-kilometer lead out for Lotte Kopecky. And Marlon Reuser was about fifth or sixth wheel, I think. And she just eased up. She just opened up a gap because her teammate, the one that needed to not lose any time and the one that needed to win the stage, were in the front. And if she opens up that gap, then everybody else behind her has to try and come round. And in the end, that meant that there were a number of GC rivals who ended up with a four-second gap on the line. Um, that was... But some did manage to get across that gap. Didn't they, Lizzie? Actually, it didn't. It didn't. St the yeah. gap that Marlon Royster created didn't stay uh, a total gap, but it did string it out behind. It, you we know, Longo Borghini, Ludwig, didn't we? Longo Borghini, Utrecht Ludwig, Niviodoma managed to get round, but it did mean that there mm. were more gaps in the bunch. Um, Sprat, Evita Music, Shabby, Juliette Labus all lost four seconds, and then eight seconds for Garcia, Rihanna Marcus, Ricardo Baunfeind, Erica Magnaldi. And it's interesting because all of these seconds count. And um, we've already seen Labus uh, lose 43 seconds on GC yesterday. Marcus lose 23. And I really thought that we would see the riders trying to take that bonus sprint today because there are significant seconds on the line there, you know, six, four and two. And, you know, everybody's obviously looking ahead, but we we heard Demi Vollering say that perhaps one of the things that she could have done in last year's tour was look look 
look to where she could take time earlier rather than leaving it all to later. And I know that Juliette Labousse afterwards, well, I think you spoke to her, didn't you, Rose, after the stage? And uh, she was a little bit surprised I, about the bonus sprint. No, I actually spoke to uh, Juliette at the beginning uh, of the day. And ah. she was actually in in uh, really buoyant mood because I had seen her yesterday after the stage and she was very very tearful very kind of shaken up by uh, losing this time so early on but she was really in a very sprightly mood I mean even today after the finish it was kind of big smiles very relaxed um, so even though she lost a little bit more uh, time today um, clearly um, she feels like her kind of confidence back and we mm. did see her attack a number of times actually uh, did we in this stage which kind of uh, tells you that she, you know she's not counting herself mm. out of the GC either yeah I mean Lizzie's right there were some time gaps there which could be significant uh, later on in the race uh, but it felt like a few riders kind of redeemed themselves after yesterday we we highlighted Elisa Longo Borghini for example yesterday and her her struggles and she, as you said on Instagram, she hinted that she'd been ill and she's still recovering from that. But she put in a really attacking display and was didn't lose any time today. Sylvia Persico, who we didn't mention yesterday, mm -hmm. but she lost 23 seconds on the stage yesterday. She was up there, you know, in third, looking looking strong. Um, and, and Juliette Labousse as, as well, you know, and OK, she lost a few seconds, but she put in a much more attacking display. So, and I think today is probably more representative of kind of where riders are at yesterday felt like a bit of an, an anomaly it was the first stage that was that really violent effort after you know a period of kind of flat and quiet in the peloton so um i think a lot of riders will be quietly happy or happier than they were after yesterday's stage and hoping that they can kind of work their way into more form as, as the race goes on well it all kind of added into what was a, a really thrilling finale wasn't it and we really didn't know how it was going to go even when we were walking up to the finish line uh, Denny we really didn't know which way uh, the race was going to go uh, at all and I have to say before we did all that finish line uh, rubbish we actually uh, you got had one of your uh, first here at the Tour de France and that was the press buffet shall we hear how you got on on your very first press buffet well here we are Denny it's been a, a few days of firsts for you isn't it and today we're hitting the press buffet for the first time Ooh, so in we go we're going to like a municipal building not very glamorous is it is this what you're expecting from I think I probably was expecting something like this. I've always been told it's very municipal, but it's even more of a, a school canteen-style sit-down here. Everyone crouched around, furtively grabbing at crisps and whatever else seems to be on the, the menu. But should we go and have a look at see what yes. they've got? Let's, let's go and see. I mean, it's, uh, it feels almost slightly embarrassing to be recording as we uh, walk through. Some of the esteemed cycling press all uh, all enjoying the food already. We've actually already bonjour, bonjour. Yes, we were told that there was uh, school dinner vibes today to the press buffet, and I think that that is quite true. Yeah, it's a delightful lady about to give us uh, cutlery and a plate. I don't know what to say, really, Rose. No, she had, she had the lovely air of maybe your favourite dinner lady, but you wouldn't want to cross her. You, you'd finish your sandwich if she was your dinner lady, I felt. Yeah, the lady you gave she's us like the a cutlery. very helpful grandmother. She really wants, <laughs> really wanted to help us and corral us through to the uh, 
the food area. And uh, what have we got here? What treats do we have? Well, bread? There's not much left. <laughs> there's a bit of bread. Um, some kind of couscous arrangement, I think. Uh, the last two slithers of m- steak. I, I, don't, I don't think we're going to make it to those last two bits. No. We're in the back no, of the well, queue I'm here. No, being so. vegetarian, that's okay with me. And uh, a small bit of fruit salad and some nice cheese but at the end. Get some bread, Denny. Come on. Get, get on with it. Two of the biggest... I do. Well, Denny, we ha- I have made it, actually. I, I am meat-eating myself, so I have actually made it to one of the last two pieces. They've just kind of been sitting in their juice a little. Or you're gonna just I'm going to be go generous to my colleagues and leave them one. Looks a little bit like a unknown animal's tongue. And, um... Well, cheese. Pescatarian dream. This is... I mean, I'm here for the cheese, basically. Cheese is the... This is the only uh, reason you came on this tour at all. love. It is, yeah. I wouldn't have come if I if I thought there wouldn't be a nice uh, array of cheese. So I'm very glad to see some local cheese. I'm not quite sure what cheese it is, actually. But it could be Cantal. Hate to frighten you there, Denny, but the couscous might have ham in it. Oh. Well, cheese and bread is a great, is a king's lunch. So we just um, found somewhere to uh, sit, um, continuing the school dinner vibe. But normally, I mean, the press buffet is kind of a point of pride for uh, the locality and wherever the finish is. They like to show off the local produce. Um, what do you think about the state of Moriac's uh, civil pride? <laughs> well, actually, the cheese is delicious, so and the bread's hitting the mark. So I think they're doing a good job on that that front. Um, no crisps, Rose. We miss the crisps, which is, I mean, I feel like also we might have been slightly missold because the Eurosport people said that it was um, a fantastic press buffet. <laughs> so I don't know whether it judges what, what the rest of the time they're eating. But Well, the other day, Rose, I was listening back to your episodes from the last year's race and the number of times you said that you'd been in the press room and had champagne. I thought this was going to be a very, very different experience. I'm, oh, I'm disappointed. We are not in champagne country here, though, Denis. No. We are in... Um, clearly, we are in cheese, cheese meat and... Uh, couscous country no crisps country um, no we did we did miss out on the crisps um, and you're drinking a little uh, French coffee which I know you love a man who brings his own coffee machine with him on the road yeah well I have to try it I haven't I have to, I haven't actually put my lips to the coffee yet okay. this is great <laughs> great audio isn't it um, I mean it's it's just bog standard rough French coffee. I probably shouldn't say that too loud, should I? But it gives you caffeine. Excusez-moi. Quel est le nom de fromage? Cantal. C'est Cantal. Ah, et là? Là, c'est du Cantal aussi. Ah, Cantal. Il y en a un avec la croûte et l'autre sans croûte. Ah. Voilà. Merci. Oui, oui, oui. Très bon, très bon. Well, well, Denny, you were right. Cantal, you were right. Wow, it's delicious. Nice, nice and creamy. Uh, it's kind of semi-hard cheese. Um, yeah, maybe a little bit like 
I'm going to probably put my foot in it now and get it completely wrong, but Mrs. Kirkham's Lancashire in uh, the UK. Okay, but I I, you, I didn't really... I mean, we're eating two, two cheeses that looked, to me, very different, and I thought mm. tasted too different, and they're actually the same cheese. But now you've totally lost me. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think probably my English cheese knowledge is worse than my French cheese knowledge. So, um, but it's delightful. It's delicious. Good. And, and we find the bo- found the box of crisps. Oh, it's, it's, it's all turning out beautifully. Uh, just like the weather. The Cycling Podcast of the 2023 Tour de France Femme is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Science in Sport are the world leaders in endurance nutrition. As we've seen today at the Tour de France Fam, even the hardest of stages are raced on the edge and won by fractions of seconds. So it's crucial to get the right fuel at the right time. Developed for elite athletes, available to all. Fuel, hydrate and recover like the pros at scienceandsport.com. Well, I kind of hinted a bit earlier about the fact that it was kind seemed to be in the balance even when we were headed uh, to the finish line, Denny. And that was because there was a, a three-strong breakaway. Uh, that's It was kind of whether they would make it to the finish or not was in question, wasn't it? Yeah, it wasn't It wasn't as done a deal as I think probably we thought it was, you know, 15k to go. As, as the race, as, as they got closer to the finish line, the gap didn't fall as quickly as we thought it might. Uh, the break still had a minute and the rain was still falling. And I guess the, the question in our minds was, would that mean that the peloton would take it a bit easier, give the break an opportunity to to kind of get away and, and uh, maintain their break? But then I think, as you said earlier, Lizzie, in the, uh, the tail of the tap, unfortunately, Castelline lost it on that roundabout. She was out of contention. There was a horrid crash for Van Act. Um, hitting the barrier and then that left Costa on her own and talking to her or listening to her after the race she said she had to take time to reset after that I think that really shocked her and she was as I said earlier visibly shocked after the finish line and of course as one as one rider with a very uh, hungry peloton behind you I guess at that point she really probably lost all chances of uh, staying away it was good, Lizzie, to see, uh, though, wasn't it, a few other teams trying to take the race into their own hands. Um, we didn't really get to see that uh, on stage one, so it was, it was kind of nice to see uh, a bit of kind of aggressive racing. Yeah, absolutely, and I think the way that the that the route was designed both today and tomorrow are really beneficial for breakaways because there are a lot of mountain points on offer today and a lot of mountain points on offer again tomorrow early in the stage so it, it's really encouraging we had we had the first break with georgia williams and um hannah ludwig of x pro cycling and then the second break with yara castellan first with soraya paladin um and anushka costa then those two riders came back and then anushka costa went out again um and they were really motivated to well phoenix de Koenig in particular were really motivated to get those mountain points and now they're they're lying in first and second overall um in the mountain slash classification with their riders so they're in a really good position to hold it for hopefully a couple of days um you know it's another long-ish stage again tomorrow so the break you know the peloton will be more than happy to let a break go and although we're saying it's a sprint stage tomorrow 
actually you know there's still I, I do think it'll be a sprint stage because there's 10 flat kilometers at the end and the climbs sort of four and five percent but um but it's still 2,000 meters of climbing. So it's a good day for a breakaway. And I, I think we'll probably see some Fenix to Koenig riders going up, up the road again. But yeah, great to see them really taking the race on. I'm, I'm almost surprised that the, the breakaways weren't a little bit bigger. But the problem is when lots of people think it's a great opportunity for a breakaway is that things just don't get up the road. Everybody wants to go, everything gets chased down. Um, and then it's very, very difficult to get a real solid break. You know, like, I don't know, six to eight riders would be the perfect number really that, that would have a chance of going to the line. Um, but yeah, I mean, it definitely, when the rain started coming down, it definitely did kind of put a few doubts on whether the the group would actually catch them because it's so much harder to chase when it's raining you know you can't see what you're where you, you can't see where you're going you're having to use the brakes a lot more everybody's more nervous and so suddenly instead of that that gap coming down as it should be it was just stable and you know had had Castelline not have had that moment on the roundabout she may have even been able to stay with that group to the finish academic of course but um but yeah very good ride from those riders well, shall we hear now from Yara Castellan, who is wearing uh, the polka dot jersey, the Queen of the Mountains jersey? Uh, well, Yara, what a day for you. Is this what you were expecting at the beginning? Um, it was a thing that I was hoping for. And yeah, I think it's really cool to ride in a polka jersey for one day. But I'm going to do my best to take it for more days. Did you think that the break might make it to the end, that you might stay away? Uh, yeah, we did our best. So, yeah, you never know when they are just waiting in the peloton. So, you, yeah, you're there. You're there that you have no, you know, you can't go back. So, yeah, we just tried, but yeah, for sure, the other girls from the GC, they also won our win and then they came back and, yeah, they catch us. And you, we saw you, uh, your wheels come out at one point. How bad were the conditions on the road? Yeah, the roads were really slippery, but I think that I had uh, a flat tire. So I, ha I had to choose, I had the choice just to go straight and break or just take the corner and slip away. So I just took the first one, the safe one, <laughs> but then I was stopped. But yeah, I really trusted myself and I came back and now I have this jersey. <laughs> and is it your family that are here? Your parents are here? Yeah, my parents are here. My brother, he comes uh, last weekend, so it's really cool that, yeah, I can um, celebrate this with them. <laughs> Were you thinking about them on the road to, you know, to try and get them something? Um, yeah, my family is the most important thing in my life, so I'm really happy that they are here and yeah, I really love them. So yeah, for me, it's really special that they are here. So that was Yara Castelline and it was quite clear to me that she, her family was with her because her and her parents all have the same face. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was quite clear when she was having her photos of being, you know, you know, that they were definitely not fans. They must have been um, her parents, but um, lovely to hear from, uh, Yara, um, you know, so delighted to have uh, got the polka dot jersey. Um, and, you know, it's so nice to see that kind of aggressive racing also uh, being repaid. But it did mean, uh, obviously, they swept up all of those QM points. And they also swept up all the... Because the, there was the bonus, bonus seconds, yeah, points. The they swept six, up four them. And, two. and they also swept up the uh, green jersey points, didn't they? 
Yeah, and it's it's a bit weird, isn't it? We were talking about this yesterday. Why aren't people going for it? And they swept up the first three uh, spots of the green jersey points and Lotta Kopecky took a relatively uncontested fourth place behind. And it seems now like Lotta Kopecky is really just walking away with that after a first place on the stage yesterday and a second place on the stage tomorrow. Um, there really don't seem to be any other teams contesting it. And, well, I, I think you two were asking why at the finish line, weren't you? <laughs> Uh, we weren't asking at the finish line, we were at the, actually at the start. We were uh, on a little fact-finding uh, mission and I uh, did speak to Yolian Dor, who is the DS uh, for the team with Ashley Moorman Passio in there. And Ashley Moorman Passio is currently wearing the green jersey, uh, but obviously Lottie uh, Kopecky held the green jersey and Ashley Moorman Passio was, uh, uh, was holding it because uh, Lottie Kopecky's holding the yellow jersey. So uh, even um, Jolene Dorr, let's see what she had to say about the green points, who's going for it. Jolene, I just wanted to catch you about, uh, obviously Ashley Moorman Passio is in the green, wearing the green jersey today. Was that a target for the team? It seemed more like a byproduct. Yeah, exactly. It was not a target at all. I mean, there was an intermediate sprint and then nobody was going for it. So Ash was thinking, yeah, I'm here, so I might just go for it. It's easy points. And that's what she did. And then in the final, in the final um, she got fifth in, uh, in the final results. So um, that's why she has uh, the green jersey. Or Lotta has it, but she can wear it now. So yeah, it's, it wasn't uh, easy points for her yesterday. So it's uh, a good bonus for us. But why did you think that no one was really... Because it seemed like there was like lots yeah. of lead-outs almost, and then when it got to the sprint, it was kind of over and done. Yeah, and I have no idea. I mean, uh, Mariano Fosso or Rebus, they could go for it, but they, they didn't run for it. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. Do you, who do you think you've got your money on for wanting to go for it uh, in the peloton to, to finish with the green jersey? Lorena Rebus, is that...? Yeah, for sure, Lorena Rebus. Maybe Kopecky as well. Um, Foss, for sure. Um, yeah, those three riders. Well, I'm not the only person who's been on the case about the green jersey. Who wants it? Why is no? No, why does no one want it? Denny, you were uh, beavering away in the press room, weren't you? Doing with a little calculator, doing some old school maths to try and work out the points and of who might actually be secretly uh, gunning for it. I was trying to work out who, which riders have been in the top 15 of the sprints points on both stages. Uh, there were a handful. Unfortunately, I've lost my note. <laughs> I'm just going to start to spoil this bit. But uh, I think the, the the key thing to note was that um, uh, Maria Giulia uh, Confalonieri from uh, Uno X who, had who had uh, a really been, nasty crash today. She had a really nasty crash. But until then, she'd been up there. She was fourth yesterday, fifth today, suggesting she might be thinking about. Uh, the points jersey but as you said and, and Ashley Mormon Passio okay she's perhaps not someone you immediately think of someone going for the green points jersey but she's been in the top 15 both times yeah uh, she's she was, now the nearest rival isn't she to to Lotta Kopecky yeah she was in the position to be able to contest those those sort of fourth fifth sixth place points um, in the intermediate sprint today and then didn't because she was fifth on the stage yesterday fourth on the stage today and she was right at the front Lotta Kopecky made an acceleration and Mormon Passio didn't and I kind of thought well seeing as Mormon Passio seems to be really good in these sort of sprinty finishes at the moment and there's a lot mm. of these you know coming again on stage four we've got an, um, a, a steep uphill kick to the line again perfect for Mormon Passio I kind of thought you know it isn't, she's got an outside chance of being on the podium but actually she's got not that bad a chance of taking the green jersey so why not just go for it but 
Yeah, very weird. She does look in prime position, doesn't it? I do find it. I mean, I know this happens in other races too, but the feeling we got, I think, Rose talking to people this morning was that at the beginning of the race there wasn't anybody actually choosing the green jersey as their main target it might be a secondary goal and it will almost be an accidental thing that will emerge kind of as the race evolves and people suddenly realize maybe they don't have any other options for, for glory or they find themselves in a handy position but it does feel like there's been a missed opportunity there perhaps and if a team had really or a rider had really gunned, gunned for it from the go they could have put themselves on the front foot going into you know the next six stages well one of the people that i did speak to uh, this morning was carmen small um who is ds at jumbo visma and of course they took the green jersey with mariana voss last year but she said to me that actually that was just a byproduct uh of mariana voss uh winning stages and uh, you know being up there and being in the right position it wasn't something that they were gunning for at all and uh, she kind of hinted also to me that uh, Mariana Voss, because we were all kind of looking at Mariana, maybe also as a, a as a prime candidate for maybe taking the green jersey uh, this year as well. Um, she kind of suggested that maybe Mariana didn't have the form uh, yet. She had iliac um, artery surgery uh, over the winter and wasn't perhaps in the in the form to compete for it. But you know, she also made it very clear that that it wasn't something that they were interested in chasing. Um, she kind of, you know, I I went to her thinking like, surely I'm going to get my answer uh, from the DS of Jumbo Visma um, and she looked at me as if like you know why are you asking me I, I don't want the, the green jersey uh, either so <laughs> it'll be very interesting to see over the next few days how that pans out uh, and whether people do uh, start going for it while talking about such fantastic prizes I should actually mention um, that Stacey Snyder still has some uh, gelato bowls and espresso, and espresso cups available on her Etsy page. So if you want these beautiful uh, Tour de France fam um, special uh, cups and bowls, then head to Stacey Schneider's... Um, well, this is what she told me earlier. It could have all changed. So please don't be disappointed when you go on and there aren't any available. Uh, but Stacey told me that there were a few uh, still going. So get over to her Etsy page uh, and see if you can uh, bag one. Now, um, the light is dimming here quite rapidly, <laughs> isn't it? And I don't, probably the listeners can even hear uh, it's getting a little uh, louder in the pub is what we uh, not the pub uh, in the bar in the tobacco the bar tobacco uh, that we're in um so we're gonna have to uh, head off into moriac and find uh, someone to eat pretty rapidly denny so let's hope that francois tomazo has a suggestion of where we should be headed let's hear from francois french flavor now now for some french flavor would be francois tomazo A little bit of uh, French flavor from the stage two of the uh, women's tour. Um, well, not much to add to Clermont-Ferrand. We started from Clermont-Ferrand again, except that I forgot to mention one of the local specialties, which is pâte de fruits. Pâte de fruits was very popular among kids in France. Uh, that this is the sort of things that you're given at school when you're a, when you're a child. It's kind of candied fruit with lots of sugar on it can't say I'm a great fan of it, but I, I must say that uh, Clermont-Ferrand is the place to to have it. And I once tasted very good ones uh, in a pastry shop in Clermont-Ferrand. It was a grapefruit, pâte de fruits, and it was mm, a little bit too sweet, but excellent. If you're into sweets, so go, go for pâte de fruits in Clermont-Ferrand. Uh, 
uh, on today's stage went through Saint-Jeunesse-Champagne. It was kilometer 7.3 uh, on the stage. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a small town, uh, kind of a suburb of uh, Clermont-Ferrand. And it's, it's famous because it's got a motor racing circuit there called Charade. And there, was a, there were actually Formula One Grand Prix there uh, between 1965 and 1972. Um, well, some, you know, some famous Formula One drivers, Jim Clark, Jackie Stewart, Jochen Rindt won on the Charade circuit. Um, well, it was abandoned uh, by Formula One in 1972. But uh, interestingly, there was a, a French cycling road championship took place in Charade uh, in that place in 1998. And guess who won the women's um, edition that year in 1998, French championship? Of course, Jeannie Longo, she was 39 at the time and won yet another French championship title. Um, on well, on the, the 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 rest of the stage, not not a lot to be to be said. To be honest, I mean, apart from the usual Auvergne uh, specialties, uh, the small town of Orcival at kilometer 26 was uh, also a very very interesting little town, very picturesque. It's a village, 250 uh, inhabitants. Uh, it was the hometown of Jean-Louis Murat, a singer who died last month. I mentioned him already in the in the men's. Uh, podcast, uh, well, pretty good uh, singer, and he he he, uh, he wrote a uh, he wrote a song called "Lady uh, from Orcival," uh, probably inspired by Cat Stevens. Uh, well, you can listen to it on YouTube, I suppose. Uh, you know, Murat M U R A T was uh, a very decent French singer. Then uh, all the way down to Mauriac, the Finnish town. Uh, today, well, there's a there's a real cycling hero from uh, Mauriac, uh, a guy who's still alive, he's 94, I think, called Louis Bergo. Uh, he was nicknamed Lily. Don't ask me why. <laughs> That's the nickname he had. Uh, sportive to his name, uh, organized every year in uh, Mauriac, and uh, Bergo was was a very very good rider. One two stages of the Tour de France uh, back in the day. And so, well, if you're at the finish in uh, Mauriac, well, you know, maybe he'll, he'll be around, Louis Bergo, and uh, if you have a chance, you know, pay homage to, yeah, the great name of the men cycling from, you know, yesteryears. It's all for today. Well, unfortunately, Francois didn't really help us there, did he? Um, <laughs> We know that we need to uh, look old, look out for a very old man uh, somewhere who uh, might be a very important cyclist. Um, and we know what we should have been eating in Clermont-Ferrand. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, Francois left us uh, at a bit of a, a loss of uh, where we should go. And um, yes, uh, I have seen a few people with some kebab boxes, um, which is always a promising sign. Always the pizza vending machine. On a Monday night. Yes, a pe- that would be fantastic. Um, I'm looking around at this uh, very old uh, school kind of... Um, oh, I don't know, what century would you say this was, Denny? I'm just desperate for someone to uh, help me out here. I mean, I'll just be picking out a random century. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. What's your favourite century? <laughs> Should we go 12th? I was going to say 12th. I mean, those buildings look pretty uh, 12th century over there, I'd say. 12th would... I think... Twelfth is far too old. You've gone far too old, haven't you? All right. Well, Surely we're saying let's look more. Into this. We don't know. Okay, so um, I'm not sure that we're going to find a pizza vending machine in this particularly old um, 
square. This, this is where we need Kate Wagner because she would know exactly uh, what century this architecture was and she'd be able to tell us and put us straight. Uh, but yes, we better get off. Um, we, Lizzie, you've already kind of mentioned what stage three uh, holds uh, for us. Uh, another exciting one, will it go as the road book suggests for once? Because it hasn't so far. Well, actually, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what it's billed at as tomorrow. Whether it's billed as uh, it's billed as a flat it is stage, as a flat and it's stage. Uh, yeah. got got a sprint uh, green jersey points accordingly. Yeah, and green jersey points quite late in the stage as well, which is interesting. I'm actually going to have to borrow your raincoat, Danny, because the thunder has just started here, and I'm uh, crouching oh, no. under the edge of the house. Um, <laughs> But yes, I think uh, I'm going to delay my ridiculous prediction of Lorena Vibas, which was my prediction for stage two, oh, yes, which actually kept me up last night because I was thinking that oh, was such no. a ridiculous prediction. Um, you may be able to hear the thunder for, you know, cracking above me. Uh, I was thinking that's such a ridiculous prediction, but surely, surely she is going to be gunning for it tomorrow on stage three. So I'm going to, um, yeah, re-predict Lorena Vibas. Although I would love to see Emma Norsgaard take a win there. Yeah, worth noting, I think, briefly that uh, Lorena Vibas and Mariana Voss were kind of dropped quite uh, during the stage. 47k to go. Uh, yeah. Don't rub it in. Denny's just rubbing it in so that Lizzie had to sit yeah, there watching I, I wonder, no, I wonder if that, Sorry, that was that a tactical wasn't, thing. Uh, I wonder if it was a tactical thing if yes. they were like, you know what, one, three and six, those are my stages, keep my powder dry because this finish isn't for me. Yeah, it's worth saying actually, yeah, she's she did. We did talk to her before the race, didn't she? And she marked out one, three, and six as the stages for her. So, um, yeah, maybe she was just kind of resting up ahead of ahead of tomorrow's stage, knowing that uh, the rest of the team had it had it sorted at the front. And Lizzie, just to be clear, you know that on the cycling podcast we like these bold, fanciful, as Richard uh, would say. Uh, speculation so I was waxing lyrical about how much I liked how bold Lizzie was saying Lorena Weebus uh, <laughs> for today um, I think so she could have done it if she'd have just tried a bit harder I mean come <laughs> on come on Lorena my neck is on the line here <laughs> just try a bit harder will you I love how that's another person just to cut off of Lizzie's Christmas card list <laughs> straight, straight away how many more will there be by the end uh, by the end of the race right we really mustache uh, now uh, Denny because it's, I mean there's like birds hovering uh, around us now. not that, not like vultures obviously but um, to give a scent a kind of an ominous sense that we really must uh, get a move on uh, but uh, Lizzie thank you so much for joining us and uh, well till tomorrow for you thank you Rose I very nearly got flown into by a bat just then so I think it's about time for me to go and say au revoir and well, I hate bats, Lizzie. That's really that's <laughs> the only animal that I really I can't oh, I cope thought you yeah, thought you hated uh, my French. Sorry. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> I hate <laughs> French. Um, no um, bats, I can't cope with. Um, but uh, Denny, hopefully no bats here. Um, but thank you very much uh, for all your insights, Denny. Thank you, Rose. The cycling podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freib, and Lionel Burney.